Welcome. Merry Christmas. How's everybody doing today? Great to see you guys. I want to say hello right now to all of our churches who are tuned in with us as well. Thank you for joining us as well as those online. And let's give it up for our prison ministry as well. We love you guys. Thanks for being with us. Glad you guys are all here together. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, I can't believe Christmas week is here. It's crazy. It is that time of year again. And so I know we're all busy, aren't we? I mean, if you're like me, I'm like running around to different Christmas parties and events and getting gifts and all kinds of stuff, just trying to get it all together. And I'm the guy, which means I'm only in charge of Christmas one-tenth, right? Let's be honest, right? You know, my wife is nine-tenths of Christmas, and so I'm very thankful for that, but it's crazy. I'm really glad that I have little kids now, though, because they would be very confused. They'd be like, is it Santa Claus or is it Amazon man that brings me my gifts. I'm not sure which one anymore, so it'd be very confusing. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. We do the online stuff as well, as well as going to the store. But again, thanks for being here. I can't believe it's actually upon us. And if there's one thing I know that's hard this time of year, it's having peace, right? But the Bible's very clear that when the angel showed up, he said, I bring you good news. And it's what? That God wants to bring peace to all men. Sorry, ladies, you're not in this. Only men get peace. No, I'm kidding. It actually means all mankind. And so, but God wants to give us peace, but so many times we don't feel that this time of year because it's crazy. And so how do you get that peace? It's a little crazy with all the stuff going on. There was a little girl named Olivia. She was five years old. She was in the uh, school play and they were doing a nativity scene. And so her and her little friend were getting ready. And one of the little boys that's also in the play, his name's Johnny, he's kind of the instigator. He came by and he was like, so I'm the sheep, who are you? And she was like, well, I'm Mary. And he realized he got upstaged immediately. You know, and she was like, well, you know, being a sheep's pretty hard. And she said, well, being a virgin's hard too. <laughs> she has a point. I mean, she does have a point. So, you know, Christmas is crazy and it can be stressful. And so I thought we'd talk about getting God's peace today. So I want to dive in scripture. You guys ready to go? Here's what peace means. Yeah, let's do it. Here's what peace means in the Bible. The, the word peace is a, it's a Hebrew word. The word is shalom. Say shalom. That's what peace means. Shalom uh, is the original Hebrew word. Also, another uh, alliterations are salam or salem or shalom. So, what does it mean? What does to have peace mean? Here's all the derivatives of this word. Here's what it means it means to be safe, to be sound, healthy, perfect, complete. Signifies a sense of well being and harmony both within and without. Wholeness, peace means health welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord, a state of calm without anxiety or stress. How many of you guys want that? Turn your teenager right now and tell them you're going to have to leave if I'm going to have that. Just let them know right now. No, I'm kidding. It's crazy though, right? Like how do we have that kind of peace, right? Don't we all want that? That sounds incredible. So how do we do that? Well, I want to show you some scripture today. Let's talk about three kinds of peace that Jesus offers us today and what we can do with that peace. Look at the scripture. It says in Isaiah 9 verse 6, this is 700 years before Jesus came, which means this is prophecy. Isaiah said this, a child has been born for us and God has given us a son. He will be called the prince of Right. He's the prince of peace. He's the, he's the CEO of peace. Like you don't get peace without him. He's the prince of peace. It says in John chapter 14, Jesus actually said this. I am giving you the gift of peace, the kind of peace that only I can give. It isn't like the peace that this world gives. The world gives you some peace sometimes. Let's be honest. You get the rage. You're like, woohoo, feeling some peace today. Right. 
You get a little compliment. That's always nice and peaceful feeling. You're like, oh, thank you. They, someone said I look nice today, right? Or, or you, you make maybe a good grade, right? When you make a good grade, you feel the peace. Like when you get a pat on the back, you're like, yeah, you know, someone's nice to you. You're like, oh, this is great, right? And so isn't it nice if someone gives you a compliment, you feel a little peace. But then, but then someone cuts you down, criticizes you, oh, takes away that peace. You know, something doesn't go your way. You know, something frustrates you, you know. Uh, I, I have kids, and so they can compliment and cut down at the same time. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about? One time my son said, Dad, you don't look as fat as you normally do. <laughs> this is a compliment from him. I was like, well, I'm kind of torn. Thank you. But I, I still want to punch you and you're no longer under 18. So it's no longer child abuse. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> as far as you know. Anyway, so. But, you know, it's funny. Peace is a hard thing to get. And if you're trying to get it from this world, you're going to be in a world of hurt because the world is not full of peace. The world's full of strife and anger and frustration and factions and jealousy and betrayal. So how do we get this peace? Jesus wants to give us this peace. So the first peace Jesus wants to give you, I want to give you some notes to take. The first thing he wants to give you is peace with God. Sometimes people feel, feel like when they come into church, they're like, I feel like the walls are going to cave in. I feel like God's mad at me. He's out to get me. I, feel this, this, I just feel bad. What is it that makes us feel bad when we come into God's house? Or maybe you're around a certain Christian or you, you listen to some, something Christian or read a book and you're like, ah, oh, I just feel guilty. What is that? That's because we know we've broken the law. This is one of the evidence. It's just one of many, but one of the evidence that there is a God. You're like, how is this evidence there is a God? Well, why would you feel guilty to someone who doesn't exist? But the other thing I want to just unpack this if I can. Did you know that there is a right and wrong? See, in today's world, they want to say there is no right and wrong. But, but the reason we know this is right and wrong because there are certain universal principles that we all know everyone agrees on. Every, did you know this has been studies done that every generation and every walk of life, every nationality, every, every ethnic group, did you know that everyone agrees that cheating on your spouse is wrong? Interesting, isn't it? This is a universal thing. Like people know that. You go, like, oh, I don't care. So people just do what you want to do. So you're saying it's okay for you to be cheated on? You go, no. Oh, well, why is that wrong? If that's wrong, then there must be a right. If there's a wrong and there's right, there's a right and a wrong. And that means there's the, a law, which means that someone gave us law. So the reason we, we have a hard time being at peace with God is because we've all broken God's law. The Bible is very, very clear about this. And, and maybe you haven't cheated, and I, and I hope you haven't, but, but maybe you've lied, had a bad attitude, judged someone, were rude to someone, said some things you shouldn't have said, done some things you should have done, watched some things you shouldn't have watched. Right? And so, so we've, all, we've all sinned. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, God sent Christ to make peace between himself and us. So God's not trying to condemn you. He's not pointing at you. Go, look, you're such a terrible person. He's not doing that. He's turned his finger up and he's going, come here. I love you. I sent my son for you. He's not out to condemn you. It says in Romans 5, since we are made right with God by faith in Christ, we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. It goes on in verse 10 of the same chapter. Even, through, even though we were his enemies... You may not feel like you're an enemy of God, but when you, when you break God's law, you're an enemy of the law that he, he gave, right? So it says, even though we were his enemies, God made peace with us because his son died for our sins. Now that we're at peace with God, we, we will be saved for eternity by his son's life. Did you know that Jesus literally is a peace offering? God offered him to be able to make peace with us. That's the ultimate gift. This is why we give gifts. Did you know that's the tradition of gift giving? It's because God gave his son the greatest gift ever given was Jesus himself. And so the first thing you need to know today is Jesus offers you peace with God. In fact, at the end of the message, if you don't have that peace, we're going to give you an opportunity and you can receive Christ. You can just receive him simple as could be. And he will give you peace with God again. He will still you. And you realize that's what I've been longing for. Maybe you've been trying to find peace in a relationship in this world. 
You'll find brokenness there. You'll find maybe some temporary joy, but it doesn't last. Because why? Because we can't satisfy each other like that. Why? We're not God. But God sent his son to satisfy, to give us, to give us that peace. So Jesus offers you peace with God. The second thing Jesus offers, and this is hard for us to get if we're honest with ourselves, even as Christians, Jesus offers you peace within. He will. He gives you a peace within. Look what he says in Colossians 3. He said this, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Well, to rule means it needs to be ruling over something else. It needs the peace of God that's to rule over all the non-peaceful things in my heart, right? In my mind, right? And so what does that look like? If you're like me, I'm, I'm hard on myself. Is anyone else like that? Are you hard on yourself? I'm always thinking about my shortcomings, what I'm not that good at, you know. And maybe you're like me, you're like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm not enough. I'm, I'm not skinny enough, or I'm not smart enough, or I'm not tall enough, or good looking enough, or I'm not educated enough, or I'm not, we're just not enough. I don't make enough money. I, I'm not cool enough. I'm not relevant. You know, when you get older, you think, I'm not young enough. When you're young, I'm not old enough. We just always feel like we're not enough. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? It's easy to feel that way, isn't it? But God says, I want to give you peace within. This is not an uncommon feeling. For us, for us to feel. But, but look what God says. 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, we're supposed to be strong and immovable. What does immovable mean? That means that once we understand our station in Christ, that who we are in God, that we're supposed to be immovable. Like when something is contrary to what I know God thinks about me, I can push that away and say, no, that's not me. Once you know who you are in Christ. And so this is important for us to, to have this feeling. Another, uh, another theologian used the, for the word for peace. He said, you want to become with God's peace, you become unflappable. Isn't that a great word? Un unflappability. I love that. Unflappable. Say, say, turn to the person next to you and say, you're unflappable. <laughs> say it like a Jim Carrey. You're unflappable. <laughs> turn to the person next to you and just say it right now. Just say, you're unflappable. <laughs> Full Jim Carrey. Sorry, I, I kind of look like him sometimes, you know, so I'm just going to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll stop. So anyways, uh, you are unflappable. Sorry, I didn't take my ADD medicine this morning. I, I, I'll go back and take it in a second. So. so how did David do this? David was unflappable. Here's what that means. David was a king, right? And so, you know, he was like, he was a big deal, man. He was like the king of Israel and everyone loved him. And like every year when a Jerusalem, you know, Time Magazine came out, he was man of the year. Every year, oh, look again, it's David one more time. You know what I mean? Like he's always the guy, right? But David also had a lot of enemies. We forget about that. People were chasing him down, trying to kill him. I mean, his own family was hunting him down sometimes. It was crazy what he went through. So how did, how did he become unflappable? How did he become immovable? I think we see a clue here in what he wrote in Psalms 27. This is from his own journal. He said, the one thing I want from God, the one thing I seek, oh, oh this must be a big deal. I mean, because this guy has got a lot of stuff. He's like, this is the one thing I really want. This is what he said. I want the privilege of meditating in his temple, living in his presence every day of my life, delighting in his incomparable perfections and glory. There'll be, he says, there I'll be when trouble comes. He will hide me. Don't you love that? Then he says this. He will set me on a high rock out of reach of all my enemies. Then I will bring him sacrifices and sing praises with much joy. He says, God, hide me. Another place David says, you're a strong tower. I will run to you. What's a strong tower? A tower is tall. Why? So the person in the tower can see way off further than we can see. So they know when the enemies come before they get to you. God knows what's coming your way before you get there. Run to him. He's the tower of strength you need. God, I want to hide in you. So no matter what you're going through, hide in the Lord. You can find comfort. You're enough, he says. When you're with him, you recognize it. We all need that, don't we? 
Fred Craddock was a preacher. He took his family on vacation one year to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, really popular destination. He was there in this log cabin. You know, everything there is like a log cabin. He was there with his family. They were having breakfast one morning. And as he's sitting there eating, his kids were playing. And so him and his wife were just kind of casually having a conversation after breakfast. And there was an older man a couple seats away. And he just got up and walked over and said, excuse me, what do you do? He says, oh, I'm a preacher. He goes, I want to tell you a story. And he just pulled up a chair and just sat down. I thought, huh, that's interesting. The guy just starts sharing the story. He says, I want to tell you a little story. When I was a little boy, I, my, my mother told me that, that she didn't know who my father was. So I grew up without knowing my father. And other kids teased me about that relentlessly. And I, I didn't have a lot of confidence because of this. And I would see other kids and their families going to the store. And I didn't have a family to go into the store. I had my mom, but I didn't have a father. I didn't know who that was. And so I always questioned myself and I, I just, I was, I was discouraged by this and embarrassed by this. And I just, I just didn't know who I was. He said, one day I was in a small town and, where I grew up and one day I heard there's a new preacher in town and I heard he was good. And I'm not into church, but I said, I'll go hear him. So I slipped into church when it had already started. I didn't want anyone to see me come in. And I listened to him and he was really good. And then I slipped out before service was over because I didn't want anyone to see me leaving without, without a family. And I did this week after week and one time he was so good I kind of lost track of time and, and they ended the service and I didn't have time to slip out. So then I had to kind of fight the crowd to go through the same two little double doors like a little bitty church you see, you know, because I was trying to get through the same double doors and get out of there with anyone seeing me. And I was trying to, to slip through when a hand grabbed my shoulder and I turned around and it was that preacher. And he looked at me and he said, young man, who's your father? And before I could even hang my head and say, I don't know, right before I said it, he said, whoa, whoa, you know what? Look at me in the eye. I looked up at that preacher and he said, I recognize you. You look just like your father. You see, you're a son of God. He said, it changed my life. He said, now I knew who I was, that God loves me, that God has a plan for my life. And every day since that, day, since that preacher told me that from a little child to now, I always have known I'm a son of God and I can run off of that confidence and do big things because I'm a son of God. He got up, he got up and he, uh, and he walked off and they were wondering, who is that guy? And that was crazy. What a, what a great story. And the waitress came up about that time and said, you know who that was, right? And they were like, uh, nope, have no idea. She said, that's Dr. Ben Hooper. He was the governor of our state for many years. So you never know what you can do when you finally recognize who you are, or should I say, whose you are. You're a child of God. And so I don't know where, where you're feeling like you're not enough. But God says you are enough because you're his child. You are a son and daughter of the most high. So God has amazing things in your future. But you have to settle in your heart. I have peace because of who I am and because of whose I am. I am God's child. Let that give you peace today. So Jesus offers you peace with God. He offers you peace within and then he offers you peace with others. This is a huge thing because sometimes we don't get along with those around us. I want to show you a couple of scripture on this. It says in Ephesians chapter two, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace and that was the end of the hostility. Let's be honest with, you, with each other. There's not a lot of people today that we really embrace anymore, right? There's people that maybe have a hard time doing that with. Galatians 3 says this, in Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female, black and white, Hispanic and black, Asian and white, 
Republican and Democrat, educated, non-educated, left or right. Can we keep going? You getting it? Privileged or non-privileged. Offended or non-offended. Management or labor. It's all the same to Christ. We all just need the Lord. I just want to encourage you that if we all cut ourselves, we all bleed the same color. And so I just, I just got to stop this nonsense I keep hearing. Please quit listening to what the world is telling you when God's not trying to divide us. He's bringing us together at the foot of the cross. But to do this, we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision that we're not going to be easily offended. Remember that whole unflappable thing? Don't be easily offended by someone. And the problem is sometimes it's not just that you got offended. Maybe someone's still offending you. They keep going. What do you do when someone won't stop offending you? You have to realize they're probably not going to change. So then you have to become unoffendable. So we just have to make a decision. I mean, Jesus put it really simply. He said, love your enemies. Even if someone that you do not agree with at all, you can still love them. N nowhere in the scripture does it say, he, he doesn't say that, that, that through the cross, God got us to agree. No, we don't have to agree. I don't have to agree with you to embrace you. So I can love someone without even agreeing with them. I can understand them. I can seek to understand. But even if I understand where you're coming from, I may understand you, but I still want to agree with you, but I can still love you. So can we get past this issue that we all have to vote the same way, think the same way, talk the same way, look the same way, agree on every single thing? That's never going to happen. So instead, let's just love one another, even love your enemies, because that's what Jesus teaches us to do. So Jesus offers you peace with others. And can I tell you something? If you're mad at someone, maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone with the same last name. Maybe you're, you're having a hard time having peace with someone that lives around the hallway from you. Someone that you sleep in the same bed with. Someone that you grew up in the same household with. Someone that you go to work with. Someone that you come to the same church. Maybe you're in the same small group with them. And you still just are, oh, they just they drive you crazy. This is what I call a sandpaper person. They just rub you raw. How many of you guys have someone like that in your life? Don't point to them across the room. We know they're there, but you don't have to point to them. They rub you raw, right? Maybe instead of God using that person to rub us raw, he's trying to rub us smooth. Maybe God's using someone in your life to make you more like Christ. But how can we be like Christ who loved his enemies if we don't have anyone that drives us crazy? So I just want to challenge you to become unoffendable. Can I tell you something right now? When you're in a fight with someone else, the devil's winning. He's winning the fight. Neither of you are winning it. Oh, you should see. I told her. You're not going to believe what I told him. doesn't matter. Because the devil's winning that battle. You see, I want to challenge you to exit that fight so you can re-enter the good fight. Because there is a battle we're supposed to be in. That's not it. The battle is to be different. Everyone's offended today. Where's someone who chooses not to be offended? Where's someone who chooses to forgive 70 times 7? Where's someone who says, I will love you even if you don't love me back? Spit in my face, I'll embrace you. That's who changes the world. So I want to challenge you today to make a decision. They will know us by our beliefs. No, I didn't say that. They will know us by our love. So let's love someone that may be tough to love. They're just sandpaper. You'll smooth out. Even if they don't, they stay rough. You're going to smooth out. 
And God will use that person in your life. I got people I could still be mad at. It's just not worth it. Because when I finally realized it, I'm trying to keep them locked up, but the only person who's really locked up is me. So if, unlock, if I'll unlock them from the penalty box in my mind, I realize I'm setting myself free to live the life God has for me. You and your future are worth it. Forgive them, let it go. If you will do that, watch the love of God flow over you, just like you let the love of God flow over them. Make a decision today, even if they're still going to say something tomorrow that's dumb. Just forgive them now. I don't know what they're going to say tomorrow. I forgive them now. Before it happens, I already forgive them. Just forgive them and watch God set you free. Jesus offers you peace with others. So what do you do with this? Jesus offers us peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. And here's my challenge for you now. Will you offer peace to others? That's the challenge, isn't it? Now you can offer the missing peace that other people don't have by bringing them this Christmas Eve. Did you know Christmas is a new Easter? Christmas Eve is actually bigger in attendance than Easter now. Not only here, but across the world. Why is that? People get into Christmas. So there is more of an opportunity for you to bring someone to Christmas than, than probably any other time of year. I want to challenge you to do that. You know, I was looking at scripture and uh, there's multiple dreams in the Christmas story, right? I mean, you got the, you know, you got the dream of the wise men when they, they, in a dream, the Lord told them to go back another way, like to protect them, right, from Herod. So they did, they went back another way. You got the dream of Joseph when the Lord told Joseph, go ahead and marry, marry, go ahead and marry her, right? And he did, right? Well, this last week I had a dream. And, uh, you know, I hope this doesn't sound hokey, but it was very real to me. It kind of freaked me out. I came, I came to church the next day that, that, that I had staff meeting, and I, I told them a dream. I was just bawling my eyes out when I told them. It was so real. I, I have night terrors and I get really demonic dreams. This is not one of those, but uh, those are horrible when I have them. And my wife one time asked me, well, tell me what you dream. And I told her and she literally turned to me and said, never tell me again. Because it's just they're very evil. So I don't. But she prays over me and prays for my dreams. Wakes me up if I'm in a horrible pain that she can tell. I pray for my own dreams too. But this dream was different. It was so vivid. It was so real. You ever had a dream that just seems so real? So here's what the dream was. And I want to just warn you before I say it, it was, it's, it's, it's violent and, and a little scary. But I feel led to tell it. So I had this dream. I was in a gigantic building, like massive office building, and it was next to a mountain. And we were all running through this building, trying to escape. It was like there was a mass shooter in the building, but it wasn't one. It was like an army coming through. It was, I felt like... And forgive me for the analogies. The only thing I could think of that may maybe describe it, I felt like a, a Jew on the run in the 40s in Nazi Germany. We were running through the building as fast as we could, taking fire. People were dying all around me. I could see them. I could see them just take a shot and drop dead, blood everywhere. My wife and I are together. I'm holding her hand. I'm running, and I keep turning to her. And I keep saying, I love you, because I just knew at any moment I was going to lose her. I knew that she was going to die or I was going to die. I just kept saying, I love you, baby. I love you. And as we were running, I'm crying in this dream because I just knew we weren't going to make it. Somehow we get out of the building and now we're on the side of this mountain and we, we begin to escape up into the mountain, into the woods, and we can see we're still taking fire. And as we're running, that's when I woke up. 
when I woke up, I felt the Lord tell me right then and there, evil is overtaking this world. So you need to do your job. Guys, I want to tell you, I truly believe we're in the end times now. I really believe it. And I want to lead our church like an end times church. And I believe that God has called us to be a remnant and to do our jobs. In fact, I'm convinced that the greatest sin of the church today is that we are underperforming as God's people. We are called to be a witness. Did you know the average church in America sees less than one salvation a year? That is not doing our job. We are called to tell people about Christ because evil is overcoming this world and they need to know there's a better way, that Christ is the answer that they're looking for. So I want to challenge you to join me in this message that God gave me and do your part. Would you join us? What can we do? What's a practical thing we can do? This next year is going to be big. God's already spoken to me a very clear word over this next year. I'm going to wait to, to give that, but it's powerful, and I cannot wait for what God's going to do. I think 2023 is going to be probably our greatest year. I really believe that, and I'm trying to tell you that. Not for the church organizationally. I'm talking about for you. You are the church. It's going to be your greatest year. I believe that. We're going to be preaching towards that this next year. I can't wait. But what do we do right now? Here's something practical. Now you can offer missing peace to others this Christmas. How do you do that? Three things. The first is invite your friends to church this Christmas Eve. Invite them. Luke chapter 14 says, go out into the country lanes and out behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. God wants a full house so that people can find Christ. So invite your friends to church. Some of you are like, uh, pastor, you know, I'm, my life's not like really like an order kind of, but no, it's fine. You invite your friend. You know the guy that you used to go to the club with, you know, like last week, them. You're like, hey, you want to go to church? You're like, you're in church. You're like, yeah, I go to church. Really? They're like, I know what you do. Yeah, I know what you do too. We'll go together. We won't tell anyone. Let's just go. <laughs> Bring in the church. See, the problem is the longer you're a Christian, the fewer non-Christian friends you have. But if, if you're new in the faith, you actually have a massive advantage over us. Because you have all these friends that you used to do all these crazy stuff with. And to be honest with you, sometimes you're still doing some crazy stuff with them. So bring in the church. Let God use you to change their life. God's changing you. And we're not all perfect. We don't have it all together either. None of us do. Just the longer you're a Christian, the better are you at hiding your sin. If we're honest with ourselves. We're all normal people with problems and struggles and temptations like anyone else. But let's still do our job. Let's bring people to church. Like, I would encourage you to pick them up. That's the best way to get them here. Say, hey, I'll pick you up at this time. They're like, what? Oh, okay, you're coming by? Okay, now I gotta be ready. And bring them to church. The 23rd, we have services also the 24th all day. Bring them. Second thing you can do is you can serve an extra service this Christmas. We have extra services. We need your help. We're gonna have a full house. You ever been to Walmart or H-E-B like, like late at night and you know, you've got like a full cart? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, I love that the super ones, the super Walmart, super Target, super HEBs are like so much like you go in there and buy a Dr. Pepper and you walk out with a Ferris wheel. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, I don't know how this happened, but I just, I just found stuff. So you load up, right? So I have my cart totally full. The problem is you get up there and it's like 12, 30 at night, you know, and you're like, and there's like one cashier. You're like, oh, seriously? And you got like 50 people in line. That's what happens when people come to church, but no one serves. You got this full amenity church, but you don't have enough people serving to, to really keep up with the, 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 the give it the right experience. So big church need, needs big serve. 
So would you serve an extra hour greeting or working in children's area or nursery or helping in the parking lot? We need you. Or maybe you've never served before. I'm not even signed up to serve. Just go back to the next step center and tell them I'm willing to serve whatever y'all need. We'll find something. Trust me. You can also serve online. Did you know we have, if you're online with us, you can serve online too. There's ways to do it. You can help us host. We'd love to have you do that. So I just want to encourage you, serve an extra hour. And then the third one is give extra today so we can get the word out about Christ. It's called pre-evangelism. We do advertising. We're trying to invite them to church to tell them about Jesus. But let me tell you why we have to spend a lot more at Christmas. You know why? Because everyone's advertising their products at the same time. So you have to cut through the clutter. So people, see, everyone's trying to sell their, their product. We're trying to give them Jesus. So would you help us by being generous? Can I, can I, can I quantify it for it? Can I help you a little bit? I did the math one time. I, I just wanted to find out, you know, like a direct mail piece. Like, we, you know how, what, what it costs to, to reach your street? It's about 20 bucks. Your neighborhood, about 100 bucks. And so when you add the social media in, that's about, that's about right. And so you want to reach your neighborhood? You want to reach your street? Just put in 20 more dollars and you're going to do for your regular tithe. You want to reach your entire neighborhood? You can be responsible for reaching your neighborhood. How cool is that? Talk about evangelism, 100 extra bucks. I mean, let's be honest, $100 seems so big in church and so small at Target. So let's, let's, let's reprioritize. Okay, God, I want to give you first. In fact, you know, end of year giving too, it's a big thing. I want to encourage you to, to do that. We, we always tally up in our family, like who gets the nicest gift this year? It's my wife, just a little hint. She's on the front row. So <laughs> trying to look good, you know, but, uh, but I tallied it up like, okay, we're, this is what Susan's gift. I'm going to make sure I give God, God more because I just figured he's the birthday boy. Shouldn't he get the best gift? And so that's what we do. End of, we call it end of year. It's like our end of year gift. So I just want to encourage you. What's God leading you to do to make a difference, to help us reach more people for Christ? And it's, it's not just church services. I mean, our West Side ministry, I mean, it, it's unbelievable what God's doing. But did, you, did you know the need is, has doubled? The need has doubled. So when you give, you're helping us meet those needs. A couple more scriptures and I'll wrap it up. Psalms 39 says this, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. And I don't know whether that, you know, dream I had was going to be a terribly bad prophecy and I don't have very long. I don't know. And I don't know if I'm going to live a long, prosperous life like my father who's 86. I, I would love that. But either way, I'm going to use what I got. I'm going to use the time I got to win people to Jesus. Will you? Whether you got a little bit of time or a lot of time, will you use the rest of your life to win people to Jesus, to bring them to church? Last scripture, Titus 3.14 says, Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. God, we don't want to underperform as Christians. We want to tell the world about Christ and do everything we can. Guys, I'm about to go to Nepal, by the way, in January. I can't wait. Because we're working on putting a deal together with these mission organizations that's going to fund literally reaching the rest of the unreached people groups across the world. Did you know they have it mapped out? Technology has come so far. We now know where all the rest of the unreached people groups are. And Church Unlimited is one of the leading churches in this fight. Did you know that's about your church? I'm so fired up about this. So when you give, you're helping us do this. I'll be presenting in January our plan to win a million souls. We're really going to do it. We're really going to do it. But would you do your part right now? Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. What's your prayer today? How's God speaking to you? Maybe he's saying, hey, it's time to have some peace, to know Jesus. You can receive him. In just a moment, we're going to pray this prayer and you can receive Christ. Maybe you just need some peace within. Maybe you already are a Christian, but you've been comparing yourself. You keep telling yourself you're not enough and God's saying you are enough. 
Maybe it's time to let go of some anger you have towards someone who's hurt you or continues to hurt you. Maybe God's saying, I have so much for you, but you're so caught up in this anger. I can't break through that. Maybe it's time to say, God, forgive me. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to learn to love them. I'm going to let it go. Maybe that's your prayer today. But if you've never given your life to Christ, you can receive him right now by praying a very simple prayer. Just pray this prayer with me. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, no one's looking around. If you just gave your life to Christ, would you just lift your hand high? If you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, just hold your hand high. Thank you. There are hands going up all across our churches right now. Thank you. Hold that hand high. Thank you. All the way down here in the front. Thank you. We see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. All the way in the back. Praise God. Thank you, Rodfield. Hold that hand high. Praise God. Thank you. All the way there at Stone Oak. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Rockport Fulton. Hold that hand high. Thank you, Padre Island. Praise God. Those of you who are online with us, if you just gave your life to Christ, just text in the text chat right now, my hand's raised, or click hand raised. Praise God. We thank you for the decision you made to give your life to Jesus. You're not alone. You're not alone. We praise God for you and the decision you made to give your life to Christ. He is our peace offering. He gave his life to give us peace. Lord, thank you for your word today. God, thank you that we can obey your truth. Lord, we will make sacrifices. We will honor you. Thank you for your goodness. You gave the greatest gift of all. You gave yourself. I pray your blessings, and we just thank you over all these people who gave their life to you. Thank you for your word today. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Did God good? His word is so true.